Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the odd man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. If the devil lives anywhere, it could be in San Francisco. From our point of view, it really makes no difference whether you pray to a father god or to a mother goddess or to an entire gaggle of gods and goddesses, you're still wishing the same thing. You're still wishing to be included. You're still wishing for their acceptance. You're waiting for them to put their arm or arms around you and say, you belong, you are part of us, you can relax, we will take care of you, we approve of you, we endorse you. The Satanist, the black magician, does not seek that kind of submergence of the self. We do not seek to have our decisions and our morality approved or validated by any higher God or being. We take responsibility unto ourselves. The Temple of Set follows the ancient Egyptian Prince of Darkness, Satan in another guise. It's America's only legal satanic church and enjoys tax-free status. Lilith Sinclair and Temple Director Michael Aquino edit the Satanic Newsletter. The Temple of Set emerged from the Church of Satan, founded in the mid-60s by Anton LaVey, a one-time lion tamer and carnival performer, and the Church of Satan's self-appointed makers. In the name of our most exalted God, Satan, Lucifer, I command thee to come forth. Shemham Barash. Shemham Barash. Hail, Satan. Hail, Satan. God who rejoices in the bang of dogs and spilt blood, look favorably on our sacrifices. Open wide the gates of hell and come forth. Shemham Barash. Shut up, Hail, Satan! Well, it occurred to me for many...
many, many years that there was a uh, large grave area between psychiatry and religion that uh, was untapped, and no religion had ever been based on man's carnal needs or his fleshly pursuits. All religions are based on abstinence rather than indulgence, and all religions, therefore, have to be based on fear. Well, we don't feel that fear is necessary to base a religion on. <clears throat> the fact that religions for thousands of years have been uh, telling people what they should do and what they shouldn't do according to the basic whims of a person who might be running the show is very understandable. We're realists, we Satanists, but we also feel that a person has to be good to themselves before they can be good to other people. This is a very selfish religion. We believe in greed, we believe in selfishness, we believe in all of the lustful thoughts that motivate man because this is man's natural uh, feeling. I decided that I liked Anton LaVey. He was a pleasant man. He believed in what he was doing. And underneath his uh, somewhat Mardi Gras exterior, I sensed that there was an individual who uh, did in fact have a new perspective on the human equation, on what humanity is. The Temple of Set is the Church of Satan grown up. Uh, the Church of Satan started out on a very uh, self-indulgent, materialistic level. At the time, this was uh, the way it was presented, that there was nothing more than that. The nude female figure was used as a living altar, uh, was a symbol of carnality, of the ties to the flesh. And the, the sexual content was really beside the point. several times uh, I don't function that way at this time because the temple of set simply doesn't use living altars uh, they're not ruled out we simply haven't had occasion to use it um, it was quite an experience it was one that uh, I felt honored by and that I enjoyed quite a bit Welcome once again to The Oddcast, featuring The Odd Man Out. As always, I appreciate you taking your time, your precious time, to listen to me. And this week, I hope I don't disappoint. We're going to be going over Michael Aquino once again on Satan Set Part 2. And for those of you that did not listen to the first episode, it's been quite a few weeks now, I'm going to go over a few things just so in case you're not familiar with Aquino It'll just kind of help you to get up to speed. Now, I apologize. This episode has been on the cutting room floor, as they kind of say. I don't know why, but other things kept coming up, and the Afghanistan thing kept coming up, and different things like that. So, I've just been procrastinating, and I apologize. So, without any further ado, let's get right into it. If you're not familiar with Aquino, Aquino was a very decorated military man. Well, what makes him unique, well, there's several things, is that he, in 1965, hooked up with Anton LaVey, the founder of the Satanic Church. Aquino says that he saw LaVey at a showing of Rosemary's Baby and asked the clerk that worked there at the movie theater, who was that guy? Because he was with an entourage who were all dressed up in black and had the whole dark robe deal going on. So I'm sure they stood out, especially in 1965. 
And the clerk told him, that was Anton LaVey, the leader of the Satanic Church, and he actually gave me some of his cards, so here you can have one. So, a few weeks went by, and Aquino decided to go and find LaVey at his home in California, which they called the Black House. He gets there, he says, there's a sign on the door that says, if you do not have an appointment, go away. So, he says he drove away, and about a year went by, and he said that LaVey had a speaking engagement, and that he decided to go and see him. Well, long story short, he was enthralled with the speech, and he got to meet LaVey afterwards, and they became fast friends. And he quickly joined the Church of Satan and worked his way up through the ranks, through the degrees and whatnot, until he was very high up in the church. Now, ten years went by during this time, and LaVey had decided that he was not just going to take any lay person and let them rise through the degrees in the Satanic Church. He decided to just make it for profit and let people pay to earn their degrees. This didn't sit well with Aquino and many of the other elites in the church. And so Aquino consulted Satan and decided the right thing to do was to, I guess you could say overthrow Anton LaVey, so to speak, sort of a coup d'etat, if you will, but not really. He actually decided to start his own church, the Temple of Set. And he claims that he was actually visited by the Egyptian god Set, who gave him instructions on how to raise Anton LaVey up to a daemon, or their version of a saint, and relieve him of his duties, and Aquino would be the one to take over for LaVey. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy, right? Pretty crazy. And Aquino never really liked the kind of vaudeville kind of act that LaVey had put on. He really wanted it to be super serious. But he did respect LaVey very much so and his wife. And they were very close at one time. And he still has good things to say or had good things to say about LaVey. Actually, Aquino passed away a couple of years ago. And he wrote quite a few different books in his lifetime. And if you listen to the first episode, one of the main ones I went over was called Mind War. Mind War. And it's really something that he came up with along with Paul Vallelay. And they served together in the military. And it was really all about psychological operations. And so Aquino, his thing was, well, if we come up with these psychological warfare tactics, we can avoid actually doing physical damage and have physical war. And that sounds good, of course, but you also have to think about these tactics, as with any psychological tactics, can be used both for good and evil. And there are many, many legends and rumors about Aquino. And I won't get into a lot of those. I did get into a few of them on the first episode, but I'm just going to put out there things that I can verify from Aquino's own books, along with a few things that other people have written about him. Uh, you know, starting something like the Temple of Set, you know, I can kind of see why he would do that, even though, of course, he says, you know, that he was genuinely visited by the god Set. 
And of course, he talks about how all these other religions are false, but he goes on to say that Set is real, and he even talks about how he and his elites in the church, or the elect, they were actually visited by Set and Anubis as well. And I have to say, even though I don't agree with his belief system and many of the things that he said, I was surprised to find out what a complicated, nuanced dude Michael Aquino was. Very, very intelligent. Very intelligent. So, he's kind of a complicated figure. And I actually found out that he was on a show, I believe it was called The Michael Deacon Show, the last year or two of his life. So he was on that show about a handful of times. And he spoke very candidly, or at least that's the way he came across. And he said some very interesting things. Things like about the UFOs and the things that people have claimed to have seen and aliens and all this stuff. He said, it's it's all BS. He said, I've been around these very secretive, little-known projects with the Air Force and NASA and different things like that. And they have all this technology that people don't know about and all the things that people are seeing in the sky. That's just part of their technology that they are working on but can't talk about. So I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, some people say that he was behind QAnon. And there's some good arguments out there. And I'm not going to say he wasn't, but Deacon did ask him straight on, do you know about QAnon? What do you think about QAnon? And he claimed that he didn't even know about it. He's like, I, I don't know what you're even talking about. So I guess he would say that, right? But you guys know if you've listened to the show, I've been kind of adamant that I believe it was someone from the left that came up with QAnon. Now, I could be totally wrong, but look who it really worked in the favor of. It went right along with our government trying to make anyone who has a problem with policy look like a domestic terrorist, right? That's who it helped. So I think we kind of need to look at what was accomplished and who would have benefited from that accomplishment. But who knows? I guess we'll never really prove 100% who was behind it or who is behind it still. But that's just my two cents on the situation, the uh, subject. Now, Quino says when he consulted Set, he did something, he did a magical working, which he called The Coming Forth by Night, which he wrote a book about. And he said that Set spake to him. And he said, I seek my elect and none other than that, for mankind now hastens towards an annihilation which none but the elect may hope to avoid. And alone I cannot preserve my elect, but I would teach them and strengthen their will against the coming peril that they and their blood may endure. To do this, I must give further of my own essence to my elect, and should they fail, the majesty of Set shall fade and be ended. You know, I believe I mentioned this in the first one, but I'll go ahead and talk about it a little bit. Aquino says that he was born dead. He was born dead, stillbirth. He says... I was born dead, raising the question of the nature of the force inhabiting my subsequently revived body. 
Now on his chest, he bears the same world swastika appearing on Crowley and the Buddha. And from his infancy, his eyebrows have always curled upward into the horns described in the biblical book of Revelation 13.11. Now, if you've never seen Aquino, he had these big bushy eyebrows. Like some of these old men you may have seen before, Crowley had them too in his older age, but they curl upwards, and apparently Aquino had those for a very long time. If you've seen Aquino when he was younger, like on the, these talk shows that he did, he looked like Dr. Spock. I mean, his hair was even like that. Now, I think he's a pretty big Trekkie, and I know he's a big Star Wars guy, or was, so that makes kind of sense that he would pattern his look after that, I guess. It says, Aquino comments that he was born in 1946, precisely nine months after a working by Crowley's California disciples to create a homunculus, which is an artificial being created by magic. Per secret instruction of Crowley, and his Ordo Templi Orientis. It is interesting to note that in his book, The Occult Explosion, Nat Friedland reports that a Hollywood occultist named Renate Drux told him she believed that Jack Parsons, the California OTO leader and the founder of Jet Propulsion's labs, he performed the Babylon working with L. Ron Hubbard, yes, the guy that started Scientology, and these guys were big into Crowley. It says they had been working on some very strange experiments, trying to create what the old alchemists called a homunculus, a tiny artificial man with magic powers. Parsons died in an explosion in his home, supposedly. Now, here is Michael's kind of title as far as, well, several titles as far as his occult titles. Ipsissimus Michael Aquino, founder of the Temple of Set, Grandmaster Emeritus of the Order of the Trapezoid, the Temple of Set. In 1975, Aquino was given an infernal mandate by the Prince of Darkness, which resulted in the founding of the Temple of Set, Magus of the word Xepper, and that was from the Left Hand Path Sorcery website. One thing I think is interesting is he had a first wife named Janet, who he ran a grotto, which is what the Satanic churches call their offshoot churches. I believe it was in Kentucky, and he and his wife Janet ran that grotto for several years. Now, Janet died pretty young, and I haven't been able to find out much about her death and how she died, and I hope to find out more about that, but I just haven't been able to find it easily. So I'm really interested to see what was behind that, because I couldn't find anything about Aquino really even talking about her, except the fact that they both ran that grotto. He did say that she grew up Mormon, and the two of them ended up running the Satanic Grotto in Louisville, Kentucky. But in 1972, he met his wife Lilith when he was the master of the Church of Satan for the eastern United States. And Lilith ran a grotto herself in New York called the Lilith Grotto. And when Michael decided to consult Satan on that night, June 21st in 1975, he said just as the clock struck midnight at his home in Santa Barbara, he did a magical working and spent four whole hours writing the book that became the manual for the Temple of Set called, as I mentioned before, Coming Forth by Night. 
He believed that Satan or Set had passed the torch of earthly representative from LaVey to himself, and the task had been given to him to usher in the Aeon of Set. He said that LaVey would then be relieved of his duties and raised to a daemon. I mentioned that before, but I just wanted to go over that again for anyone who didn't hear the first episode. He says in the Temple of Set book, there's two volumes, but this is from volume one. Upon the ninth solstice, therefore, I destroyed my pact with Anton LaVey, and I raised him to the will of a daemon, unbounded by the material dimensions, and so I thought to honor him beyond other men. But it may have been this act of mine that ordained his fall. Now, Aquino says that Satanists thought to approach Satan through ritual, but the Cetians shun all resuscitation. For the text of another is an affront to the self. Speak rather to me as to a friend, gently and without fear, and I shall hear as a friend. Now, Aquino came up with certain rituals like the ceremony of nine angels. And I mentioned that Aquino says that he was born after the homunculus working by L. Ron Hubbard and Jack Parsons. And nine is key in the Satanic Church, and it's also key in the Temple of Set with the Council of Nine. You see nine coming up a lot, and Aquino talks about the number and explains some of that and some of the reasons why it's important. Aquino also come up with something called the Black Flame, which is basically the equivalent to the divine spark that the Freemasons and other Gnostic-esque belief systems talk about, the divine spark inside man. And so Aquino came up with his own version of that. And also like the Freemasons, Aquino referred to regular people in society as profane masses or the world of horrors. And you know, I can kind of see that in a way, yet I do think that people have the ability to learn. And so I don't disrespect people quite like that, but it is hard not to get frustrated with people who do not want to learn. And Aquino swears that he had no knowledge, no prior knowledge of the god Set, the Egyptian god, and the whole lore behind him, and that this all came to him, and of course Set talked to him and gave him that information. But I was thinking about that, and I'm like, you know what? I bet he couldn't, because there was some talk in one of his books about he thought about just starting another satanic church. But LeVay probably had a copyright on that, and he may have not have been able to do that. And you wouldn't want to just rip off Crowley and the Aeon of Horus, and of course Freemasons love Horus and all that stuff. So why not come up with something a little bit different, and the Temple of Set fit in there perfectly, because hardly anyone knows the lore behind Set, except that in one of the traditions, Set supposedly cut up his brother, Osiris, the Egyptian god Osiris, in many pieces. And that's, of course, when you get the myth about Isis getting all the pieces back together, putting them back together, except for one, and that was the penis. And so we have the Washington Monument and obelisks all over the world. So in that tradition, Set kills his brother. But Quino says, no, no, no. Isis and Osiris were just myths. They weren't real. But Horus was. And Horus, the elder, 
not the younger, as you hear in the regular myths. Horus the Elder was friends with Set, and they actually worked together. And that is according to Aquino, and he says that he has proof of that in other Egyptian lore. I may have mentioned this on the first one, but when you study Egypt and Egyptian history, you understand that the whole mythos about Osiris and Isis and Horus all coming together, and that whole family type thing, and then Set coming in and killing him, that didn't come about till around the 18th dynasty. So early on, in over half of their history, that was not even a thing. But that's the one that stuck because it's more recent. And so a lot of these mystery religions are kind of wrapped around that lore. Now, the lady whose book I did mention in the first episode, Linda Blood, who was supposedly a mistress of Aquino's for about a year, even though Aquino says on the Michael Deacon show he'd only been with two women his whole life sexually, so either Linda Blood is lying or he's lying. Anyway, she says that in his lesser black magic working, it involves techniques and attention control and behavior, and that there's elements of mind control in that working itself. Now, if you go back and you read Mind War, you'll understand that there's a lot of magic in that book, even though it doesn't come across like that and it's not labeled a magical book. But there's a fine line between, I believe, magic and psychology. There's a very fine line, I believe, just in my opinion. And something I wanted to mention... Dr. Stephen Flowers was one of Aquino's closest allies, and he was in the Temple of Set with him. And, you know, Stephen Flowers has written a book on the left-hand path, and he also wrote a book about the Fraternus Saturni, I believe is the name. He's written a bunch of books, and he is also a professor, like Aquino was. Yes, Aquino was also a professor, not just a highly decorated military man and the head of the Temple of Set. And so it says here that Flowers was a magus of the highest order in the Temple of Set, a grand master of the Order of the Trapezoid, and also Yerman Dryton, Rx of the Rune Guild, whatever that means. And Michael talks about his book, Mind War, and he says that the concept for Mind War actually came out of the Esalen Institute Transformation Project. So I would just say, look that up yourselves. Again, that's the Esalen Institute's Transformation Project. And eventually, one of these days, if I ever get around to it, Jesus willing, I'm going to do a show on the Esalen Institute. It's kind of like the Tavistock Institute. It's kind of went underground, kind of under the radar, if you will. Not many people know about it. But I think it's probably more influential than we would care to know. Now, I was trying to look into Set myself, and some people call him Seth, and see what I could find out that didn't have anything to do with Aquino. Let's see here, Albert Churchward, who was a Masonic author, says that the triangle pointing upward is a symbol for Set, which is one of the infernal names for Satan, and that's from Signs and Symbols of Primordial Man. Another interesting thing that Aquino says when he talks about Anton LaVey, he says that Anton LaVey didn't put a lot of thought into the first Satanic Bible. 
and Aquino actually rewrote it, and now it's like, I think, a huge book. So Aquino says the original Satanic Bible was actually a culmination of Ragnar Redbeard's Might is Right and the Anakian Keys, only with the name God changed to Satan. And he says that LeVay just basically ripped off Ragnar Redbeard's Might is Right word for word. I haven't read it. I've read parts of the Satanic Bible, just looking up certain things, but I've not read Redbeard's book. It says here, too, the concept of good and evil in the Cetian belief system is based on the idea that whatever is good for one individual may well be considered evil by someone else. And who is to say that who is right and who is wrong? Aquino cautions his followers that profane society will tolerate them only if they are perceived to be ethical people. We hear that there are no absolutes in the same sort of belief system in almost every one of these occult and secret society groups. It's just something that they all have in common. Linda Blood, the writer of The New Satanists, which was the book about Aquino, she says the Temple of Set members are taught that their mundane human natures are inferior. They are expected to create their own magical selves within a unique universe a superior dimension of magical reality governed by each magician's subjective morality. This process tends to create a split in the members' personalities as magical lives take on a sort of hyper-reality that overshadows their everyday existence. The temple scorns the use of many common mind control practices such as chanting or food and sleep deprivation. But the emphasis is on intense meditative ritual combined with the overwhelming volume of study materials in the black magic arts. LBM techniques and other subjects is likely to monopolize whatever free time the member might have and focus his or her attention totally on the temple. The pressure to become one of the magical elect of such an elite organization and the accompanying contempt shown for the rest of society can aggravate members' sense of alienation from the outside world, sometimes to the point of paranoia, and can foster an extreme dependence on the group as a source of self-validation. And that reminds me a lot of the books we read about Amork and the Rosicrucian Order. Pierre Freeman, the author of those books, really talks about how they basically try to get you to be hooked on Amork. You're addicted to them and you don't believe you can you can really function without them and you're a part of these this elect group and that no one outside that group can understand you, so you start to alienate yourself and hide from society. And that's one of the things that a lot of these cults, which they are cults I believe, have in common. But the people in the cult, you know, people who are in a cult, they don't know they're in a cult until it's time they finally realize, I've got to get out. And so they just believe that, you know, the rest of the world just don't understand, man. Now, Aquino talked about and wrote about how he went over to Germany on behalf of the military and the World Affairs Council, and he took a tour of European NATO offices. And while he was there, he also traveled to Germany to the Schloss Wewelsburg Westphalian Castle, it was a triangular fortress where Himmler had the SS ritual chambers and trained the Nazi Black Order in the occult teachings. Through initiation rituals, he was trying to create the Nietzschean Superman, or the Uber Mensch. 
Aquino says he went to see the marble hall and the hall of the dead. And as the sun shone through the windows on him, he said he had a spiritual experience. He also thought he'd found the fountain of youth. He asked the curator of the museum, which it was at the time, to allow him to lock himself in, and he did a ritual. Aquino experienced what he believed was a vision of the ultimate meaning and purpose of the Temple of Set. So when he went back, he contacted the elite, the elect of the Temple of Set, told them that he'd received a vision of a new symbol for his reinvigorated order of the trapezoid, which came out of the Church of Satan. He told them that they weren't going to focus on Aryan supremacy, but instead put their efforts into fighting their main enemy, which was Christianity. Now, if you go on archive.org, they have the FBI files on the investigation of the Temple of Set. So I invite you to look in my show notes and check those out yourselves. It says here it's 831-1987. It says the Temple of Set, it has a big pentagram, upside-down pentagram at the top. General Information and Admissions Policies. Thank you. This is to the FBI. Thank you for your inquiry. The Temple of Set is an institution unlike any you have previously encountered before. You can make an informed decision concerning possible affiliation. It is necessary for you to consider the history of the Temple, its basic tenets, its current design and programs, and the benefits and obligations incurred by each session. It says, while the Temple of Set, as an organization, was formally incorporated in 1975, its magical and philosophical roots are prehistoric, originating in mankind's first apprehension that there is something different about the human race, a sense of self-consciousness that places humanity apart from and above all other known forms of life. And I guess this is Aquino to the FBI. He says, I have consulted my attorneys for advice in this surprising and bewildering situation. I presume you would do the same if someone came out of the middle of nowhere and did something like this to you and your family. Nevertheless, I have always regarded the FBI as a national institution to be admired and respected. The same holds true for, and it's got two blacked out sentences. And then it says, and who this last year was finally able to tour the FBI headquarters at the Department of Justice. Not too much there. It's just kind of an explanation, basically, of what supposedly the Temple of Set is. I did find this PDF from Executive Intelligence Review, LaRouche Pub. And this is from 1999. It says, on February 5th, 1999, a U.S. District Court in Lincoln, Nebraska, an extraordinary hearing occurred in Paul A. Bonacci versus Lawrence E. King, a civil action in which the plaintiff charged that he had been ritualistically abused by the defendant as part of a nationwide pedophile ring linked to powerful political figures in Washington and to elements of the U.S. military and intelligence establishment. Three weeks later, on February 27th, Judge Warren K. Erbaum ordered King, who is currently in federal prison, to pay $1 million in damages to Bonacci in what Bonacci's attorney, John DeCamp, said was a clear signal that the evidence presented was credible. During the February 5th hearing, Noreen Ghosh stunned the court with sworn testimony linking U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino, retired, to the nationwide pedophile ring. 
Her son Johnny, then 12 years old, was kidnapped off the streets of West Des Moines, Iowa on September 5, 1982, while he was doing his early morning newspaper deliveries. Since his kidnapping, she has devoted all of her time and resources to finding her son and to exposing the dangers that millions of children in America face from this hideous, literally satanic underground of ritualistic deviance. And you can read more about the case in here. But it says, throughout much of the 80s, Aquino was at the center of the controversy involving the Pentagon's acquiescence to outright satanic practices inside the military services. Aquino was also a prime suspect in a series of pedophile scandals involving the sexual abuse of hundreds of children. I don't know if that is actually true or not. Including the children of military personnel serving at the Presidio U.S. Army Station in San Francisco. Furthermore, even as Aquino was being investigated by Army Criminal Investigation Division officers for the involvement in the pedophile cases, he retained his highest level security clearances and was involved in pioneering work and military psychological operations, or PSYOPs. On August 14, 1987, San Francisco police raided Aquino's Russian Hill home, which he shared with his wife, Lilith. The raid was in response to allegations that the house had been the scene of a brutal rape of a four-year-old girl. The principal suspect in the rape, a Baptist minister named Gary Hambright, was indicted in September 1987 on charges that he committed lewd and lascivious, and lascivious acts with six boys and four girls, ranging in age from three to seven years, during September, uh, during September to October 1986. At the time of the alleged sex crimes, Hambright was employed at a child care center on the U.S. Army base at the Presidio. At the time of Hambright's indictment, the San Francisco police charged that he was involved in at least 58 separate incidents of child sexual abuse. Now, I said I wouldn't get into that stuff, but that's a pretty interesting article. <clears throat> Again, that's in LaRouche Pub, and so I suggest you check that out too, because I only read just a little bit of it. But uh, you might find something in there that you're not aware of. Now, in the Temple of Set book, Aquino is talking about reaching the grade of Master Templi, the Adeptus Exemptus in the Temple of Set. He says you must perform two tasks, the emancipation from thought by putting each idea against its opposite and refusing to prefer either, and the consecration of himself as a pure vehicle for the influence of the order to which he aspires. He must then decide upon the critical adventure of our order, the absolute abandonment of himself and his attainments. That kind of relates back to Buddhism. Should he fail by will or weakness to make his self-annihilation absolute, he is nonetheless thrust forward into the abyss, but instead of being received and reconstructed in the third order, the silver star, or AA, Astrum Argentum, as a babe in the womb of Our Lady Babylon under the night of Pan, to grow up to be himself wholly and truly as he was not previously, he remains in the abyss, secreting his elements around his ego as if isolated from the universe and becomes what is called a black brother. Well, that's racist. And now where a lot of these belief systems rely or are related to the Kabbalah, it seems like Aquino goes out of his way to say the Temple of Set has nothing to do with Kabbalah. He says here, Kabbalists 
may desire an interpretation based upon the Hebrew alphabet, or Kabbalah. In the book of Coming Forth by Night, however, Set implicitly rejects the entire Hebraic mythos as a latter-day corruption of the Osiris cult. The Kabbalah, whose authenticity is already questioned by reputable scholars of Jewish religion, is nowhere to be found in the coming forth by night, or, for that matter, in the Temple of Set. One kind of has to wonder, since he really had this fascination with Nordic and Aryan history and Germany in the really the Nazis, you know, he collected Nazi memorabilia, and as I told you, he went to the Westphalian Castle in Germany where Himmler conducted certain rituals. If maybe that was one of the reasons why he wanted to say that there is no Kabbalah in the Temple of Set, because he does get into numbers and things that are related to Kabbalah later on in the Temple of Set book. And it's almost as if you're reading a Kabbalist's work at one point. Now he's saying in here that this is another thing that Set told him in one of the rituals. Behold, it is I who call you, because you are the guardians of the Aeon of Set, zealous in what you do. This is a salutation to the Council of Nine, the highest officials of the Temple of Set and guardians of the Aeon. Their emblem is the sacred Tichem Scepter. They carry forward the tradition and the name of the Nine Unknown, the basis of the Church of Satan's Council of Nine, and now the Temple's Council. The legend of the Nine Unknown, as recounted by Louis Powells and Jacques Bergier in The Morning of the Magicians, began with Ahsoka Emperor of the Marara Kingdom. He says, The legend of the Nine Unknown as recounted by Louis Powells and Jacques Bergier in The Morning of the Magicians, began with Ahsoka, emperor of the Marya kingdom of India from approximately 274 to 236 BCE. He became a Buddhist in 260 BCE and was famous for administering his kingdom according to the most enlightened principles. Before his death, he selected nine great sages to form a secret protective society to carry on his life's work. Each one of the nine would select nine deputies known to him alone, and each of these nine would select an additional nine. The legend was popularized by Talbot Mundy's novel The Nine Unknown from 1925. Now, one thing I didn't really expect to find in Aquino was that he was such a complicated, nuanced dude. And when you listen to him on the Deacon show, he's very straightforward speaking and somewhat enduring even. Although, of course, like I said, I do disagree with him on almost everything. And it was funny he even talked about Trump because I think it was 2017 that he was doing those shows, maybe 2018. And he didn't care for Trump very much, but he was definitely not a Democrat, or at least he appeared not to be by his statements. He thought that they were terrible as well, even more so, and he was very much against socialism and that whole deal. So I thought that was another interesting aspect. Didn't know what to really expect from him about that. But then he talked a lot about how great Kennedy was, and of course we know that Kennedy was going to sell us up the river to the UN, although he had some good points, but uh, you know he was no savior of the republic for sure. On this altar 
is uh, one of a number of daggers, which we may use in our rituals. This one happens to belong to the commanding general of the most elite unit of Germany's infamous SS, which was concerned with black magic and occultism research in general. Anything that it could find that had to do with the uh, origins of the human race, destiny of humanity. The perverted view of the occult held by Heinrich Himmler was of an evil magic that could help create a new master race. Wevelsberg Castle is where he performed his ceremonies. I have been to the Wevelsberg, which still preserves Heinrich Himmler's ritual chambers to this day and have conducted a black magical ritual in the so-called Hall of the Dead beneath the Wevelsberg. This particular dagger is inscribed to our comrade in the Leibstandarte Theodor Wisch, Brigadefuhrer, a major general in the Waffen-SS. And on its blade, it bears the inscription, Mine era heist Troy or my honor shall be known by my faithfulness. Now, if a Christian said to you, you were just really worshiping yourself, what would you say? In a sense, they would be right. Uh, it is a form of self-worship. The only thing that keeps it from being totally that is that there is this sentient being, which is the Prince of Darkness or Set or Satan on a more primitive level, uh, but it is a relationship of mutual respect rather than worship in the popular sense of the word. Uh, yes, we regard ourselves very highly because we feel we are superior beings in, in a sense that we're not just little robots going around punching our time clocks, getting up, going to sleep, and that's our existence. There's much more to it than that, and we feel that we are gaining the knowledge of that deeper universe so here he's kind of explaining what they believe and i think it's i don't know worth mentioning how he believes that these guys the elites are the elect they're better than everyone else he says the human race has the potential to destroy itself and all traces of civilization within the matter of minutes movies that have come out recently seem to show a preoccupation with destruction and doom for rational sane people this cataclysm is a frightening aspect to be avoided by any way possible. The Temple of Set is dedicated to the survival of civilization and of its membership. We are an elitist organization. We realize that not all people are truly equal, but are indeed unique. Some people are talented and gifted, visionary and intelligent, while others, most I'm afraid, are never meant to see beyond their own noses. We, the elite, must endeavor to lead the masses on a path that will save them, if possible. Our first duty, however, is to ensure our own survival and prosperity. It would be realistic to point out that our members are few. It is our quality that sets us apart from the rest of religions. Even with our higher quality of people, it is ludicrous to think that we can save the world. Right now, we'll be lucky to even save ourselves. Was well, kind of contradicting himself there, but you know, you get into saving the world and for the greater good and the great work and do it for the kids. As I always talk about those three things, you know, it's the urge to save humanity is usually the false urge to rule it. But uh, something else I saw in the Temple of Set book, 
and I believe I've heard New York Patriot mention this as well, he's talking about titles for the women in Temple of Set. While for the sake of simplicity here I have used the masculine degree titles, it was always understood that the Cetian initiation system applied equally to women as priestess, magistra, and maga. And yes, it's spelled M-A-G-A. In the church, no women ever advanced past the third degree, and the elder initiatory organizations tended to be male-exclusive past the adepti. The Temple of Set's initiatory official gender indifference has remained axiomatic through its history. Yeah, another important document that Aquino drafted for the Church of Satan was called the Diabolicon. He went on to say that was one of their most important documents, and when he wrote that, LaVey immediately put that into the church's rituals. Now, going back to Aquino's childhood, he does say that his parents were very supportive of him joining the Church of Satan. They liked Anton LaVey. They thought he was very interesting and charming. He said his father was a tepid Catholic who never pushed religion on him, and he worked as an investment banker. I'd love to know what investment banking firm he worked for. I'm going to see if I can find that. He describes his mother, and he talks very highly of his mother in these interviews, as having an IQ of 167 and graduating from Stanford two years early, which is quite the thing, right? He said that she was not a religious person, and she was a sculptor, writer, and helped found the Pacifica Foundation. We're going to look at the Pacifica Foundation in just a moment. She also wrote a children's book edited by Michael himself called Pegasus and Pin Feathers. And I think you can find that still, if I'm not mistaken. I've seen it online before. About the Pacifica Foundation, let's see what the Book of Lies, I mean the Book of Knowledge says about them. It says, The Pacifica Foundation is an American nonprofit organization that owns five independently operated, non-commercial, listener-supported radio stations known for their com- known for their progressive, liberal, political orientation. Its national headquarters adjoins the station KPFK in Los Angeles, California. So it's a public radio network. It also operates the Pacifica Network, a program service supplying over 180 affiliated stations with various programs, primarily news and public affairs. It was the first public radio network in the United States, and it is the world's oldest listener-funded radio network. Programs such as Democracy Now! and Free Speech Radio News have been some of its most popular productions. Huh. So Democracy Now! is part of all that. You know, John talks about Democracy Now! a lot on No Agenda. Super uber liberal, but sometimes on the issues of stuff like war and economics, they actually get some things right on there and say some things that the more right-wing shows like anything on Fox or on talk radio won't talk about. But a lot of it is BS, and a lot of it is just one-sided, which is like most news outlets. So their stations hit some big cities, so that's pretty darn important. Berkeley, California, that's a San Francisco Bay Area, Los Angeles, New York City, Houston, Texas, and Washington, D.C. 
bastions of progressivism. Popping over here to the Constantine Report, I saw that there is a piece about Pacifica. It says, A veteran Pacifica programmer's CIA cultural Cold War past. Censorious on-air tactics and guests who fail the smell test. On his November 9, 2003 broadcast of Sunday Salon, Pacifica's Larry Bensky, a veteran of the CIA's Paris Review Literary Cultural War Propaganda Front, heaped scorn on a caller who asks innocently enough if Operation Paperclip Nazis had any influence on the anti-communist hysteria of the 1950s. KPFA's Binsky ridiculed the caller, apparently unaware that McCarthy traveled with old guard Nazis and fascists in the intelligence community, that the hysteria was a group effort. The caller irked Binsky. There followed a long silence. Then he fell into a snit, an invaluable tried-and-true prop in the mass opinion formation business. The caller attempted to explain himself, stammered, but Binsky hung up in mid-sentence, insisting hotly, Nothing is really certain. After all, the mention of the Nazis in the U.S. suddenly led him to question the sum of human knowledge, spitting condescensions at the poor caller's suggestion that the German and East European imports, secretly sponsored by the CIA and the military's Operation Paperclip, Sunrise, etc., might have influenced the anti-communist hysteria of the 1950s. He goes on to say, The very idea... He went on to denounce nameless individuals who have discussed fascist conspiracies over Pacifica airwaves. Alex Constantine, for instance, he says, I'm guilty, blamed these lunar mollusks for inventing capricious and arbitrary conspiracy theories that interfered with his own sober, responsible, balanced news reporting. Binsky was unaware that Joseph McCarthy, the eye of the Sturm and Drang, was a hands-on Nazi collaborator, having free Germans imprisoned by the Allies at the end of the war. The late May Brussel. Senator Joe McCarthy's two strongest supporters in his Senate campaign were Frank Susenbrenner and Walter Harnisfeger. Both admired Adolf Hitler and made continuous trips to Germany. Before he went after the commies in the State Department, he had to release a few of Hitler's elite Nazis lingering in the Dachau prison camp. In 1949, during the congressional hearings on the Malmedy massacre, McCarthy invited himself to take over the entire testimony. He wasn't satisfied until the prison doors flew open. The most detestable and ugly battle of World War II, an assault upon the Americans and civilians in Belgium, was ignored. Hitler's precious generals, Fritz Kramer and Sepp Dietrich, along with Hermann Preece and many others, were free. With that business finished, McCarthy took on Robert Morris as chief counsel for the Senate International Security Subcommittee. Morris's earlier training in the Navy intelligence in charge of USSR counterintelligence and psychological warfare could be utilized well by Senator Joe, particularly the psychological warfare part. After McCarthy died, Morris moved to Dallas, Texas. He was a judge and became president of Dallas University. He goes on and on, and I'll put that in the show notes. I just thought I would add that because it had something about Pacifica, but you can look into them yourselves. Here now the legacy of the priesthood of Set. In the Diabolican of the age of Satan, 
is recounted the primeval sundering of the cosmos from mind And it's precisely that evil spirit that Aquino and his wife honor and invoke as he ordains their first British high priest. With one who is now to be ordained. David Austin, who's never been accused of any crime, is an ex-member of the National Front and now a chef. His high priest upon earth, name you to our fellowship. He's been a Satanist for 20 years and will now head the Temple of Set in Britain on behalf of the Aquinos. But in San Francisco, we discovered that Michael Aquino is not all he seems. For a start, he's a lieutenant colonel in the US Army and a specialist in psychological warfare, holding a top secret military security clearance. Army investigators here at the Presidio base in San Francisco have now formally accused him of ritually abusing young children from the base's daycare center. Indeed, one young girl says she was horribly abused by both Michael and Lilith Aquino at their nearby home. A US Army chaplain made an accusation of child molestation uh, centering on us at the Presidio of San Francisco at a time when my wife and I were living 3,000 miles away in Washington, D.C. But we have a copy of the police report and the child appears to have identified, no. identified you. That's no. not true. But as the police report shows, and the Aquinos know full well, the victim of that attack did identify them both as her abusers, to her parents, to her therapist, and to the army. Some of that ritualistic abuse is alleged to have taken place at the Aquino's home at 2430 Leavenworth Street near the Presidio base. What's more, since that original disclosure, at least five other children have made identical allegations. Well, all I can say is that uh, we have discussed this uh, regularly with the CID and we have not been told of a single other child that has made such an, a supposed identification at all. Well, the, we've um, been told a couple of days ago that five more children have you? since disclosed. By whom? By this mother, that's who. Her children were amongst the five. They were taken to a daycare center where Michael Aquino and several other adults molested them. They did rituals. They wore robes. There was chanting. There were candles. He sodomized my children. He made them do all kinds of things, I guess. And they've also told the, the army investigators that they'd been in his house and they disclosed what the inside of his house looked like. Those who investigate satanic crime can face frightening consequences. Lawyer Cynthia Angel tried to subpoena Michael Aquino for a child custody case after two more children alleged he'd abused them. Within days, she was kidnapped. A stranger stepped into my car, pointed a gun at me, and told me to drive outside of town. I drove out of town, was shown a picture of a, a naked infant. I listened to a tape recording. There were infants crying, children crying, and adults chanting. The insinuation certainly was that these children and these adults were involved in some sort of satanic ritual. I was told repeatedly during this drive that should I tell anyone what I see or tell anyone what I hear or keep investigating the case that I had been investigating, that I would be killed. 
what about the suggestion that this uh, this lawyer was taken out into the desert at gunpoint? Well, that's that's asinine in a nutshell. Uh, we don't take anybody anywhere at gunpoint. We don't threaten anybody. Uh, well, I'm not suggesting that you did it personally, but uh, as a result of taking up this case, she says that she was taken out and threatened and played obscene hmm. tapes. Well, what is the... Well, who did it? I mean, who, who, is, supposed she, to have done who is supposed to have done this to her? Well, she, she, just... she believes it was done on your behalf. Oh, that's stupid. That's absolutely untrue. Just ridiculous. It's that kind of stuff. It's that kind of stuff that, that is causing all the misery. And it's a witch hunt in the classical sense, just as the witch hunts that took place here in England and in Salem, Massachusetts, in the United States. Aquino is now back in America to face the military music, leaving his satanic church established in Britain. Dale Griffiths is a former police chief who for 17 years has investigated satanic crime. He has no doubt of the threat it poses. I would say to my counterparts in England, ladies and gentlemen, don't assume the ostrich effect. Don't take your own Judeo-Christian backgrounds and use it. It's not what you believe. That's not important. Remember what they believe. And they are dangerous. Protect her, Lord, from all the darkness and the evil of Satan and those who follow him. Now, in the show notes also, I have put a PDF of a classic book called Seth, or Set, God of Confusion, a study of his rule in Egyptian mythology and religion. And I was kind of thumbing through this book, and here it's in the intro, chapter 1, it says the name and animal of Seth. Now, it says many different forms of the name of Seth occurred in the Egyptian texts. In the text of the pyramids, except in the Yunus pyramid, it is written S-I-S. In the Eunice Pyramid, the name is written only with the so-called Seth animal lying down. Afterwards, also, the name may be written with the Seth animal alone, lying down or seated, or with a seated god with the head of a Seth animal. These signs may be supplemented or replaced, as in the pyramid texts, by one-letter signs, not always the same ones. Let's look here at the meaning of the name Seth according to this book. It says the explanations of the name given in the 19th century under the influence of the famous theory that religion and belief in gods arose from language and a disease of language are now out of date. Indeed, they were never valid since at the time the letter S was still read as a determinative. The meaning of the name Seth is uncertain by modern etymological standards. For the historian of religion, however, Pseudo-etymological explanations of the believers themselves are certainly no less valuable than the etymological derivation. They may have influenced the religious conceptions and may represent them. Apparently, the explanation given by Plutarch is not his own invention, but goes back to Egyptian tradition. He writes, And the name Seth, by which they call Typhon, denotes this. It means the overmastering and overpowering and it means in very many instances turning back and again overpassing. This pseudo-etymology derives from the late Egyptian interpretations and goes back to an Egyptian word that means verwirin zerstukhelm. He seems to be referring particularly to Plutarch's first sense of overmastering 
and overpowering. Thus, Keyes suggests that the Egyptian etymologists reduced the name STS or STH to a verb preceded by an S. The S prefixed to a verb usually has a causative value, but sometimes it may confer the force of a declaration or an estimation. There are two instances of punning with the name of Seth that I know of, and there may be more. These show that the Egyptians themselves were acquainted with this pseudo-etymology and applied it. The first is of late period and comes from Dendera. It says, I have cut, and it's got an I and what looks like a three and an S, meaning Seth. The second is older and comes from the coffin texts. I have cut the gang of Seth into pieces. In the coffin text, Seth is not written with an alphabetical sign, but with an ideogram of the Seth animal. Just as in the example of the Dendera, the spelling of Seth's name avoids the traditional letters in which one could recognize the verb concerned. Apparently, there was a reluctance to ascribe the ominous force of this word to Seth. His essential being is unriddled, but on no account must he be paid homage as Zer Stuckeler, and so on. The play of words, or rather of letters, is purposely broken up. We cannot enter into a further discussion here of the interesting subject of play upon letters and words. The Egyptians will not have paused to consider the truth of the etymology according to our Western standards. The etymology had to be theologically tenable and true. The unriddling of the name must also unriddle the essence. The Egyptian theologian will have acknowledged the etymology of the name Seth as an instigator of confusion, an oppressor, as true because this explanation agreed with the mythical fiction of Seth. Osiris, Seth's victim, is sometimes called TSTS. Allen translates, the dismembered one. One may suppose that there is some connection between the motive of the Zerstuckenlung in the myth of Osiris and the pseudo-etymology of the name Seth, but it is hard to say which arose from which. Generally speaking, it may be said that punning has fostered the formation and elaboration of the myths in Egypt. G. Darcy subscribes to the views of the Egyptian pseudo-etymologists and declares that STS is an apposition, si sirat salu ki, a fate la division. We shall see below that the Egyptian representations show there was a close relation between the Seth animal and the griffin. The name of a griffin, with an animal body, wings, and a falcon's head, is TSTS. Leibovitch has translated this name as Selu, Ki, Deshire, Ki, Met, and Pieces. Our quotation from Plutarch shows that at least two pseudo-etymologies were current, for he also gives turning back and overpassing. The letters TS do indeed offer more than one possibility. T3S, or TS, is also frontier. Although Seth will appear further on as lord of foreign countries and frontier god, I do not know of any Egyptian speculations that could directly support what Plutarch calls overpassing. There is a verb, TSI, that means to desert, or something similar that is turning back. Hayes has carefully examined the meanings of this verb. In the numerous contexts, in which it occurs, nearly 
Always it means to desert, to abandon, to be missing, when duty, loyalty, or some other obligation demands one's presence. This seems to be what the writers of the coffin text founded their speculations on. The name Seth is often replaced in coffin texts by, and it shows this, what really looks kind of like a spade sign, which can be translated as to separate. By writing Seth with the spade sign, one could avoid confirming Seth in writing as the instigator of confusion, the Zerstuckler, and so on. And it was also necessary to draw the mysterious Seth animal, which the scribes of the pyramid texts already avoided, except in the Pyramid of Unus. This spade sign merely characterized him as the one part, the cause of separation, the deserter. When this writing with the spade sign fell into disuse, the Egyptians still had the word TSI to characterize Seth. He who is pleased with desertion and hates friendship. These pseudo-etymologies are not confined to the writing of STS, but also to be applied to SWTS. To sum it up, the Egyptians seem to have attached the following three meanings to the name of Seth. Instigator of confusion, deserter, drunkard, as remarked above. The S prefix to a verb has a wider meaning than the causative. It is not impossible to the mind of Egyptian intellectuals the striking characteristic of Seth given by J. St. Fair Garnot was in part already contained in his name, and so touched his essence. Grand amateur de fems buen quill eight in meme temps des amours invaluables. Ah, it goes on and on. I'm not going to get into all that. And just finishing up here, I hope you got something out of this. I know it was a little bit crazy, but... Hey, you know, here lately I've been so busy, I've really had a hard time getting my shows finished, and I hope that things will even out soon. I'll be able to have a better workflow and whatnot. But out of all these books that I have in my library, I could not find hardly anything about The Temple of Set or Michael Aquino. And so I found this one book that I got for free from Bob Larson called Satanism, The Seduction of America's Youth. He has one piece in here. I'm just going to read briefly a couple of paragraphs. Whereas LaVey played the role of a huckster, disclaiming all affiliation with the literal devil, Michael Aquino takes Satan much more seriously, something like a cross between a Scientologist and a disciple of Werner Erhard. Aquino teaches that Cetians may become gods through a process known as zeppering, pronounced Kepering or Kefering from the Egyptian hieroglyphics for to come into being, a striving toward knowledge. More of an intellectual than LaVey, Aquino attracts an upwardly mobile constituency, many of them coming from backgrounds of witchcraft and Christianity. Fortunately, few teenagers actively follow Aquino. However, this high public profile lends credibility to Satanism and indirectly affects teens interested in devil worship. As of the writing of this book, the future of the Temple of Set is uncertain. Clouding its image are charges that the second beast of Revelation, Aquino, was involved in a child molestation incident at a daycare of the Presidio Army Base. According to authorities, a child said she recognized Aquino as the man who molested her in a room with black walls. The little girl also claimed to recognize Aquino's wife, Lilith. 
Aquino denies the charges, but does admit he jokingly considers himself the Antichrist and head of an elite group of magicians who will survive the coming apocalypse. So I guess that's a pretty, pretty good, quick explanation. And so I may do a number three on this one and hopefully bring some more information from reading Aquino's books. But in ending, you know, the guy was very important as far as the Satanic Church and the Temple of Set movement. Of course, he created the Temple of Set. But he was so highly decorated and into psychological warfare and had so many connections to the military and probably intelligence. And also, he was a professor, so he was connected to academia. So it's not hard to see how he could have possibly been involved in things that we don't know about. Very intelligent guy. And as I said before, a lot of people think that the QAnon movement had something to do with him. Maybe he was behind it, maybe not. I don't know. I guess we'll never know, probably, unless perhaps years from now, declassified documents will come out and we'll see that, ooh, maybe the deep state was behind QAnon after all. And I'll leave you with this statement from the Linda Blood book. And I may have read this in the first episode, but it's worth rereading because we've been talking about cults lately, and I think we're going to continue to do that. She says in her book, The New Satanists, and she was in the Temple of Set at one time, or claimed to be. A Temple of Set member who resigned several years ago sadly recalled how the illusion that he was thus spiritually evolving blinded him to the fact that he was actually giving up his freedom and independence as he strove to conform to the group's definition of a higher being. Gradually, the temple became his fortress against the threatening masses of zombie-like humans who inhabited the howling world outside. His identity became totally fused with that of the group, and like most of the other members, he could no longer conceive of giving it up not until he was willing to come to terms with the fact that he was living a lie did he find the strength to leave and to survive. And that coincides exactly with what the occult rejects have told me about their time in the OTO and the Order of the Golden Dawn, and that also coincides with the information I read to you about a Mork. So, I think that that goes along with a lot of these occult, cult belief systems and groups. You know, I've noticed too that collectivism as a whole really is much like that. We're starting to see that a lot of these people nowadays who really go out of their way to look bizarre and weird and different in their physical appearance are really some of the biggest conformists. Even more so than your average khaki pants and New Balance tennis shoes wearing guy. And it was kind of like that in my band days too because a lot of these people that went so out of their way and put so much time into their appearance and tried to look goth or punk or whatever were really some of the biggest wusses that I ever ran into. And they were totally living a lie that wasn't really who they were, but they were just seeking attention. And a lot of times people try to look bizarre to get attention 
so they can get mad or pretend to get mad because they're getting that attention. And we've all seen this. So, you know, that's just something that I've noticed from people watching. And that doesn't mean everybody who looks weird is a conformist. But we're, we're seeing this mainstream, you know, kind of notion of what we should be like. This fake tolerance and everything you're supposed to accept. Not only accept, but now you have to promote it or you're a bigot or a racist or whatever they want to call you. So you can't really be yourselves. So in this collectivist mindset, a lot of times they try to portray themselves as the liberals, as the outcasts, as the rebels, as the revolutionaries, when all along they're conforming to what their group expects them to conform to. And we know that the intel agencies have been culture creators for a very long time and Hollywood works hand in hand with them and our government in different military branches and different things like that. So that's just something to think about. I want to thank you guys, as always, for listening. Thank you so much for your support. You guys kick ass. Hope you're doing well. Remember to check out my Patreon. If you got something out of this, please support me. Time is money. And you can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash the odd man out. And I want to thank all my wonderful patrons for helping me out. God bless them. Also, I recorded this outro just recently after I edited everything. And I wanted to let you guys know to please check out John Brisson's YouTube channel, We've Read the Documents. Because he did a panel with some great guests, including William Ramsey, on the Temple of Set and Michael Aquino. And I was actually supposed to be on that show. And like a moron, when I talked with John about rescheduling, I wasn't at home and I didn't write down the date on my paper calendar. Which is the way I remember that I'm going on shows. Because that just doesn't work for me by putting it in my phone. And so I forgot to do that because I wasn't at home and totally, totally missed the show. And I feel so embarrassed and terrible about that. But these guys did much better than if I had been on there anyway. So I suggest you listen to that episode and I will put that in my show notes. So look for it. Check it out. Thank you to Alternate Current Radio for putting up with me and putting my show up. Check out The Boiler Room on Thursday nights and all of their wonderful shows. Check out the Fringe Radio Network. And also, again, on John Brisson's YouTube channel. We've read the documents. You can see some of my shows on there. I appreciate it. Hope you're having a great week. Cheers and blessings. And remember, their order is not our order. God bless.